Hey, Dominic Steele here, and this is The Pastor's Heart. Look, coming up over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking to Kanishka Rafael about leadership. Richard Chin is going to be joining us from uh, the Living Church in Brisbane. Steve Cree is going to be here to talk about team preaching and how they do that. And then we're going to have the two significant leaders from the GAFCON movement, the new chairman of GAFCON, Archbishop Foley Beach from the United States, from the Anglican Church of North America, and Archbishop Ben Quashi the uh, new General Secretary of GAFCON. They're going to be joining us here as well. Now, I wonder if you could help us out. You could subscribe to The Pastor's Heart. You can do that on the Apple device at bit.ly slash thepastorsapple. Or you should, could subscribe on Android, bit.ly slash thepastorsandroid. If you're on Spotify, just type into your browser, bit.ly slash thepastorsspotify. Or on YouTube, bit.ly slash the pastors youtube it'd be great if you're on the apple device if you could let us know a comment or a, you could like us uh, a rating in the itunes store that'd be terrific and we'd appreciate it if you could get behind us financially as well the uh, url to do that is bit.ly slash the pastors patreon and if you do that there's an opportunity for for a gift from us uh, of the Introducing God pack, the uh, the course material, the training DVD, uh, plus the course driver's manual and participant's handbook for anybody who jumps in at a $10 a month supporter. We're looking forward to having you as part of that. Now, this week on The Pastor's Heart, we turn to the Nexus Conference of last week and the afternoon panel discussion about evangelism. Uh, those on the panel, Phil Colgan, uh, the Senior Minister of St. George North, Alison Napier, and uh, Alison's on the team at uh, Campus Bible Study, the University of New South Wales. Uh, I was on the panel, and the chairman, Carl Maddai, who is uh, the Senior Pastor of the Campus Bible Study, or University of New South Wales Uni Church Ministry. Dominic, may we start with you? 20 years ago, you were, well, you were thinking about evangelism, and you, you decided to design your own evangelistic course. Can you tell us the thinking behind that? Sure. I was working for the Department of Evangelism, so I was preaching 100 times a year itinerantly, and it just felt like it was such a long journey from the evangelistic dinner at Padstow RSL to Sunday morning. And you just couldn't see people making that journey. And so I went along to the Billy Graham conference in Amsterdam. They invited me to that. And at that conference, what was said from the main platform just seemed ridiculous in terms of they were just trying to raise up more Billy Grahams whereas in some of the elective seminars they were starting to talk about these relational courses and it just, I came back thinking that's what we've got to do we've got to and so I was just about becoming the minister at Village what's now called Village Church and I worked out I needed to bet the ministry on Jesus over food you know and um, so that if we could get people to come along to one night and on the first night, the goal wasn't to ask them to marry me. The goal was that they would just come back for a second date and then a third date and a fourth date. And so just a little bit of information that you could just make the next step. And, um, and in the kindness of God, I worked out that that was the sociology we wanted to do, but I wanted to do it the theology of the two ways to live. So, so all I did really was set two ways to live to music or set two ways to live to relationship um, and that became Introducing God. Beautiful. That was almost 20 years ago now. Uh, what's changed and what's stayed the same? Oh, well, 
I would say when we first started introducing God, it was very much a child of the Don Carson book, The Gagging of God. Um, and Carson came up with this amazing book which, which talked about how people, all our evangelism up until then had been focused on, and all the tra- training I had on evangelism had been thinking about the modernist. Mm-hmm. And Carson said, no, there's this new group of people and I was completely foreign to them. But uh, Well, actually, I could see them everywhere but I couldn't work out how to talk to them these postmoderns and and who had rejected the idea of truth but now we've gone to the post postmodern and what is the post postmodern well it's really hard to define it's so super slippery but I think it's the pragmatist that I want to do what works for me you know and mm-hmm. so the question isn't initially is it true the question initially is will it make my life work better mm-hmm. um you don't just do evangelism by yourself. No. You are seeking to train the whole mm-hmm. church family in evangelism. Uh, what kind of training do you use? So our strategy is pretty simple. Um, we're running Introducing God four times a year where we're scooping people in and we're trying to get as many people into that course. We run it for seven weeks and then we switch that over into the, the know, people into the Knowing Jesus group. Um, we were running seven, six or seven courses a year and we just found that we, we, for quite a few years we didn't start any new Bible study groups. What we did was we started um, evangelistic groups. And, and flipped them over. And then they gradually evolved at the end of it into being a Bible study group. And about the end of the Introducing God course, about half the people were Christian. We'd add a few more Christians in. And then the others who hadn't yet become Christian would trickle into the kingdom over the next two years. And I think that's pretty normal to to see about of the people who finish the course, half of them have come to Christ and then the others come to Christ over the next two years. Mm. But, but it's, an investment it's extremely in time, isn't it? relationally expensive. Yeah. And so what we've gone for is bigger courses, four times a year, and then we have to... The big difficulty, though, is you get to the end of the course and you're, you're making a relational change in gear mm. and you just don't want to lose people, but we can't work out how to do it more cost-efficiently than that. And so Jessica is training new set, well, a set of leaders who will do Introducing God four times the year, in the year and then uh, a follow-up course that's just running through uh, Mark's Gospel, doing Knowing Jesus. Yeah. Mm. When I've talked to you in the past, you've spoken about different kinds of evangelists yeah. and different kinds of people who need an evangelist. Yeah, 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 yeah. So uh, people talk about that um, stupid idea of um, uh, are we all evangelists? I want to say, no, we all have to have the heart of Jesus. So in in Luke's gospel, the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. The whole movement of Luke's gospel is about seeking and saving. The whole movement of the Bible since the fall is God moving to bring lost people back into relationship. So if you have the heart of God, you will be about seeking and saving lost people. Now, of course, we're all wired differently. We've all got different gifts. There are three sorts of evangelists. There are rock star evangelists, there are professional evangelists, and there are everyday evangelists. Now, listening to C.S. Tang, it's really clear that some moments he gets up on the platform and he's a rock star evangelist. <laughs> uh, he really clearly gives that punchy 20-minute talk. There's, there's that guy that the woman takes him round to that restaurant owner... And he's a professional evangelist. That restaurant owner knows he's in for a Christian conversation when C.S. walks in the door. 
But then when he's on the plane, he's an everyday evangelist. And I've just got to remember that in those three different relationships, I am playing three different roles. There are four sorts of evangelies. Um, there's the backpacker. Now, the backpacker in CS's world is the person on the, um, on the plane. They're, they're in his life for an hour, three hours, 19 hours for a flight. I mean, somebody comes to our church. It's Sunday night. Um, you get into a conversation with them. They're sitting next to you. Ah, oh, and you work out they're flying to New Zealand on Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't invite them to introducing God. That's crazy. You say, oh, do you know what it is we believe here? And let me, let me take you through a little outline. I didn't write this, but I can just show you how I'd explain what the Christian... So you'd use the two ways to live I track did. at that point? Yeah. I was taught... I, I learnt two ways to live in 1990. I was determined never to share it with anyone. <laughs> um, uh, because they were advertising it to go and do that terrible thing of talking to strangers, and I just couldn't possibly conceive doing that. But I thought it might be helpful to to learn some Bible verses off by heart. So I learnt the two ways to live thing. And then um, about a month later, I was working at WSFM and I was driving a work experience kid home and we stopped at Parramatta McDonald's to... um, And because I knew what to say... I explained the gospel to him. And so on a napkin in McDonald's, for the first time I drew the two ways to live outline. And I've pretty much drawn it for someone once a week for, I don't know, 28 years mm. or something like that. Yeah, It's a great thing to have at the back of the, the toolkit, isn't it, ready yeah, to bring out? Yeah, and so I mm. think um, to, be, I mean, I mean, to, to be able to... And, Every non-Christian conversation I'm in, I'm analysing where are we in that outline. Now, Mm. but the four sorts of evangelists. There's the backpacker. I'm going to have to keep you moving. Let me just give you those three and then I'll stop. There's the backpacker. There's the speech pathologist. I had problems with my voice. I had to go and speak to a woman for six meetings. I've got to go and talk to her. She's in my life for three months. I've got to go slower than a... a, um, The guy next to you on the plane. Next to you on the plane, but faster... Then my workmate, who's yeah. in my life for three years. Yeah. And then the next person is my brother. Mm-hmm. Now, what we find on the relational course, if people work out that it's safe, the vast majority of the guests are brothers and workmates. Mm-hmm. Because if it's safe and I'm confident about the environment then I'm going to go out on the limb to get the person there who I really care about. Thank you, and I wish we had more time, but I am going to move... To, would either of you like to comment on anything Dominic's spoken, or well, I'm happy to move straight to Alison. Alison, you've worked in three interesting contexts, the cathedral, the city workers, and now international students. Um, training in ministry, is it necessary? In training in evangelism? Uh, definitely, totally essential. Um, in all those different contexts, and they are quite different contexts, uh, but I think it's true there aren't really that many rock star evangelists around, uh, that most of us actually need some training in order to be able to do that. I think training and what to say and also how to say it. And I've seen, I, I've lost count of the number of times I've done the two ways to live training course now, 
but I have seen people um, really grow in confidence through knowing what to say. Uh, interestingly enough, too, and Andrew alluded to this earlier, there's many people who become Christians through doing training courses, and I was actually one of them, so I'm very keen on evangelism training courses for that reason as well. Beautiful. Um, tell us more. Well, <laughs> yes, definitely. Uh, it was the evangelism explosion course, actually. So I was going along to my local uniting church, and I had all these questions, which were basically a variation on a theme, what does it mean to be a Christian? But uh, I was getting very complicated answers to those questions. But the minister there, bless him, a faithful Methodist minister, decided to do evangelism explosion with uh, people in the congregation. I think about four of us turned up to do it. I was in my final year of high school or maybe my first year of uni. And those two diagnostic questions at the beginning, if you died tonight, would you go to heaven? Um, And when you died and you were standing there before God and he said, why should I let you in, what would you say? They were basically the questions I'd had for a few years. And the 45-minute gospel outline definitely answered it thoroughly for me. And I became Christian that night. Beautiful. And don't tell anyone, but the first course we put students through at Campus Bible Study is the Two Ways to Live training course, really because we want to make sure they know the Lord first and foremost, and they're going to hear the gospel. So don't tell anyone, but that's what we're doing. It does need freshening up, that training course. Yeah, we we may have freshened it up a little bit on our own, yeah, uh, yeah, without telling anyone. Um, Yeah, I I think that's worth doing. I think we have to. Sorry, Tony. Sorry, Ian. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay, Alison... um, What's your feel on the current state of evangelism around you? Uh, Well, around me is the Uni of New South Wales, and it's fantastic. Uh, I'm amazed. 20 years ago, I was a trainee there. I was trying to get uh, students to go out and do walk-up, and I might as well have been telling them to go and murder their grandmother. They were really not keen, although I dragged them out, and most people found out it wasn't as bad as they thought. Uh, Returning there all those years later, I'm just amazed at the fact that it's student-run pretty much these days. We have students who, I think about two years ago, decided they'd do street talk, they'd do walk-up evangelism, and they started doing it one day a week. As far as I know, there was no staff involvement in that. They just decided they wanted to do it. It's now spread to every single day of the week. Uh, They're even going off campus. They're evangelising people in Belmore Park. They're looking for all sorts of opportunities just to walk up to strangers and tell them the gospel, and it's amazing. Do you have any thoughts on um, why that kind of enthusiasm? What's different 20 years ago to now? Well, uh, I was tempted to say that uh, students have always been countercultural and the vibe out there is, uh, oh, evangelism's too hard, no-one wants to do it, and maybe not, but it's definitely the work of God in people's hearts. Um, it's been incredibly encouraging to see that culture also being passed from student to student. Um, but, yeah, the Two Ways Ministries is another ministry I'm involved in, and that's a good example of that. Uh, there's been a launch conference that we've started this year, and f- the first years from last year took away this year's first years, who just finished high school, for a conference, and they were telling them all about walk-up evangelism. And they said, oh, you know, you'll get to do this next year, but if you want to have a go during free time, we might take some people up to Katoomba and and try walking up to them. Every single student there, except for three, decided that they'd like to do that during free time, so they went up to Katoomba to do that. And uh, the three who were a bit too timid went to a cafe... And they got to share the gospel with the waitress at the cafe. So, I mean, it's infectious. The love of Christ and uh, just that culture of evangelism seems to be infecting the students at the moment. 
Excellent. I loved hearing from CS that um, the Chinese are now coming to see that Christianity, well, it, Christianity is their religion and uh, it's not a white person's religion. You're working with international students mainly coming from Asia, Southeast Asia. Uh, what, what's your experience there? What is it like? What, you've, what have you learned training international students in evangelism? Uh, they're not so keen on walk-up. Uh, that's one thing. I, I'm basically on a cross-cultural learning experience at the moment and uh, seeing the difference between teaching Aussies how to share Christ and uh, te- teaching people from Asia has been telling. I hadn't worked out until now that it's weird for some people from some cultures to actually just bowl up to strangers and talk to them. Uh, and there's less, I guess there's a bit of suspicion uh, and it's far, far out of their comfort zone. But the thing that I have seen overseas students doing much better than we do is friendship evangelism, the relationships of just inviting their friends along to Bible study. Uh, so as Dominic said just before, just getting people into Bible study to discuss the Bible together has been a powerful tool among our overseas students. So I think every single one of our Bible studies from uh, the group from students from Hong Kong, they each have one or two non-Christians. It's, the students are very comfortable about that. It's very normal. And they just patiently, week after week, explain the gospel to them. And people are coming to Christ that way too. Beautiful. A quick story about someone coming to Christ? Uh, well, it, it blows apart what I just said about stranger evangelism. Uh, the one that's freshest in my mind is actually didn't happen here in Australia Uh, We take the students to Singapore and Malaysia and places like that to do uh, missions overseas in January and I was involved last year in a mission trip to Singapore and because it was also wanting to get the local students at New South Wales Uni partnering with the overseas students so we had uh, three of us Aussies and a bunch of Singaporeans and we decided that we would do what we do in missions here which is do some leafleting, uh, do some door knocking Now, even the church we were partnering with thought this was a little bit risky and strange, uh, but they were willing to give it a go. Uh, We were told, though, that in Singapore, uh, because of the religious tolerance policies, uh, we shouldn't really door knock any of the Muslim households, and it's quite obvious to know who they are because they've got plaques and and lights on the doors, Uh, and we should just stick uh, really to the local Chinese. So we said, okay, we'll do that. But with leafleting, we couldn't really tell who we were giving leaflets to. Uh, We were doing some leafleting at the railway stations, just handing out leaflets here, there and everywhere. And the following Tuesday night was the Christianity Explored course uh, that we were leafleting about as well as going to church. And a man turned up, a Muslim man, who had been thinking about Christianity and had been on an online forum for uh, quite a few months beforehand. And he became a Christian that night at the Christianity Explored course. So God crosses all those uh, barriers that uh, we people put up and brings people to himself. Praise God. Beautiful. Phil, uh, how do you keep evangelism on the agenda at St George North? Uh, that's a great question. Thank you. Um, uh, I think the key... It's interesting, people talk a lot about training courses. I think training courses are important but not essential. Uh, what's essential is that evangelism just drips out of the general life of the church and in particular the preaching from the pulpit. Mm. Uh, I think that's how we keep it on the agenda. It's got to just be the fact that saving people from hell is the most important thing and the fact that people need to be saved and without Christ they are lost Mm. just needs to drip out of everything, every sermon preached, every leadership course run, every parish council meeting, 
every I don't care what it is. Yeah, it's that culture yes. thing that Craig yeah. was talking about, isn't it? You, it's, you've got to bleed it. Yeah. Mm. So we do run training courses, though we never run them separate of gospel teams. Gospel teams is our midweek small groups. Because uh, I don't like the idea that some people come for evangelism training. Uh, so if we do it, we get everyone to do it. So uh, two years ago, we got everyone to do Rico Tice's book on evangelism. Uh, and we did a little few Bible studies to go with it. And we got everyone in the church to do it. Uh, I just think it's really, really important. I, I love what Dominic said before about the different types of evangelists and so mm. forth. But I, I think you want every person saying, how can I be involved mm. in sharing the mind of Christ, I think, is how mm. Dominic put it. Mm. Yeah. Um, Phil, you, you've got a good eye for our cultural kind of situation at the moment. As you look around you at Christianity in Sydney, perhaps Australia as well, um, what are your thoughts about um, the wider theological or cultural factors that are influencing evangelism? Uh, I've loved today uh, because I think evangelism is no harder today than it was when I became a Christian in 1993. Uh, I think there is absolutely no... If, actually, I think it is profoundly easier uh, because in your workplace, people are willing to talk about the gospel. They might be antagonistic to it, but they're willing to talk. Uh, when I became a Christian, uh, no one wanted to talk about it because it wasn't offensive. It is uh, fascinating, isn't it, when we think in the run-up to September 11, to say another faith was wrong was just a super controversial thing. But the whole landscape of religious discussion has changed so profoundly since then. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Mm. So I, I, think, I think, though sadly what's happened is people have mistaken the public square for the private square. Uh, so even I loved Andrew's talk before, but at the start of it, he said, no one thinks of the church as a light on a hill or a city on a hill. Well, only if you think of the church as the institutional church. I think there are lots of people around Carlton who think of congregations there as a light on the hill and say, I want to come and see what they've got. And there's lots of people around, I'm sure, Cornerstone, wherever that is, uh, who, who want to come and... Uh, you know what I'm saying? I think there's this great problem where we think, because the Sydney Morning Herald is antagonistic... Mm. The, the other parent at school is antagonistic. They're not. They just look in and see your life and they're ready to hear the gospel. Uh, yeah. So I, yeah. my current read is we're overstating when we say evangelism is harder and, in fact, it's not. Yeah. Uh, and so I think that's the general consensus that I'm hearing from the panel that uh, evangelism is not on the ground harder. Well, it's harder because of who we are, not harder because of who we're seeking to speak the gospel to, I think is the clear message that I'm hearing on the ground. Um, people seem to be more open to talking about these things today than perhaps 20 years ago. That's great to hear. Phil, one more question. Um, we've talked occasionally today, we've talked a little bit about, well, it's been mentioned a couple of times, apologetics. Do you want to have a chat about the role of apologetics in evangelism? Uh, I would have added apologetics to uh, CS as three things that stop us evangelising. Uh, I, I think there is a great role for apologetics. It follows the preaching of the gospel. That's how it happens in the Bible. Uh, so it's as you preach the gospel, you argue for the reasonableness of the gospel so that people will come to believe in the gospel. Uh, the idea of apologetics as opening a door to the gospel is something that's, I think, not overly biblical. People always go to the Paul's speech in Athens. He spends a couple of verses quoting a poet or two, but then he gets straight to preaching the gospel as far as I can tell. Uh, 
and I'm not being polemical. Sometimes people write off a talk like CS's and say, oh, he's polemical. I'm not being polemical. I'm just trying to say that's the reality. Mm. Uh, I think the danger is too much of what passes for apologetics in the public sphere today is about trying to show the reasonableness of Christian positions on things. And there is absolutely no benefit in showing the reasonableness of Christian positions on things. Uh, so you cannot show that a Christian view on homosexuality is reasonable to a world that does not believe Christ is Lord and Saviour. It's not possible. So when you try and do it, you deny the gospel, or at least you deny the truth of God's word on that issue. Uh, so that sort of apologetics that's trying to say, look at me, I'm reasonable, now come and listen to the gospel, actually subverts, and I think that's what passes for apologetics in so much of public sphere evangelism uh, around the world today. If I could just add yeah, to that, one of the things that so gets my goat is the stupidity of the strategy of advertising apologetic questions. Um, so you've picked a four-week apologetic series, you're going to do it, and you advertise it on Facebook or wherever it is, and um, the Bible's a myth, question mark, or... Um, is God irrelevant? Is God irrelevant, question mark. Um, or even worse, God is irrelevant. Yeah, is God a tyrant? Or is know? God a yeah. tyrant? And... 99% of the people who see that ad don't come. Mm. But it's worked. It's like Coca-Cola running an ad saying, does soft drink taste bad in cans? Well, I hadn't had that thought until then. <laughs> but you've just given me, oh, yeah, that's a really dumb way to drink. <laughs> now, I just can't... Uh, Marketing 101 says that is stupid. Anyway... So it's a negative message. It's a negative message. Don't do it. You want to Put the sell po the positive. Let the non-Christians do that. You do the positive message. <laughs> Beautiful. Alison, that, any thoughts? That was Dominic Steele that said that. Yeah, that's right. Any, any thoughts on... Well, my first thought is it's not very comfortable to sit between Dominic and Phil. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, first, you yeah. come across as so reasonable. Oh, that's right. I'm the middle ground. But I think it's true as well. You don't want to... Sometimes your hearing is so limited as well. Like people may only give you a chance to explain what you believe. So if you waste it on going around in circles talking about philosophical ideas, you often never get to tell them about Jesus. We've got some questions coming in from uh, the text. Can I? Um, this one's right on topic. The gospel is not reasonable to a lost world. Is the quote? Um, is the pursuit of some groups to make Christianity reasonable in a public sphere the right pursuit? Phil, do you want to just finish that one? Uh, I think we've addressed I, it a little. Well, yes, but only if it's designed to preach the gospel and only if you're actually showing the reasonableness of the gospel, not trying to show the reasonableness of Christian ideas to someone with a worldly worldview. Does that make sense? So you want to make... You want, to, you want to make the gospel the thing that you work at, make, at showing the reasonableness of, not necessarily Christian ethics, Christian morality. Um, you don't want to argue for reasonableness in the public square there. Is that what you're saying? No, because it is not reasonable in the public square and you will do a bait and switch yep. by definition in doing it. Good. Thank you. Um, Alison, we have a question here. How should I encourage people in our church who feel like they're not good evangelists? Starting with prayer is a great place, actually. Uh, when I was with City Bible Forum, I think the most genius thing that City Bible Forum has ever done is evangelistic prayer teams. It's been there since pretty much day one, and as far as I'm aware, it's still going now. 
And that, I just saw women in the workplace, very plain, very ordinary, didn't think they could ever share the gospel uh, with anyone, just get together with others to pray. And I mean, the obvious, God answers those prayers, it's super according to his will. And uh, they also emboldened each other as they met to pray together and heard of opportunities from each other and saw women like them sharing the gospel in their workplace and thought, I could give this a go as well. We had a young man, um, totally inexperienced in evangelism. We said, come along and uh, just be one of the people on the, on the course. And what he gets to hear the illustrations in the video presentation. He gets to sit quietly. He gets to help serve the food. But in the process, he's spending seven weeks watching it happen and getting excited about it and thinking, oh, this is not too hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, toe in the water, definitely. Uh, Dominic, let's ask a question. Should we be using social media for evangelism? How can we best do evangelism on social media? Sure. Um, I think you need to think... Uh, well, what I am is I'm trying to tell people that Village Church exists and we're on about Jesus. Um, And that's my message. Uh, I want people to to know we exist and I want them to know that we're on about Jesus. I have Facebook friends, just like I have non-Christian friends. I think about a third of my Facebook friends are non-Christian. So I need to be very careful, be wise in the way you behave towards outsiders. So I've got to be very careful. So if you look at my Facebook profile or the, the various things I've posted on Facebook, I'm, I'm not having a conversation with Christians about Christian things. I'm not having a debate about whether or not I think this about Together for the Gospel, this about something, some article that I disagree with or agree with about a Gospel Coalition thing. None of that. I'm, I'm, trying to th- I'm thinking about the bloke from the fish and chip shop across the road... I've been building a relationship with him and he reads my Facebook posts every day. And so I'm posting to try and get him to cross the road. Mm. Um, That's my strategy. Now, of course, I've got to be an authentic Christian. So I'm talking about my Christian things, but I'm talking about my other stuff. I'm talking about things I'm doing with my family. Um, But I, I get absolutely driven mad by ministers who get into public squabbles on Facebook because either they don't have any non-Christian Facebook friends or they're behaving like idiots in front of their Facebook friends. Yeah. Okay, can I come back at you, though? I think what... Let's refer to Tony's two-hump camel. I think you've just told us all about the first hump, which is pre-evangelism mm-hmm. yep. or, or engagement. Um, the question was about evangelism on social media. Are you doing any actual evangelism on social media or doing all the first hump of I'm the doing, camel? Well, I'm certainly doing the first hump. But no, I'm, I'm trying to make little nibbles. Um, I mean, I, try, I think of it... The way I do evangelism is fishing. I throw out the line, I pull it a little bit tight, then I let it go loose again, I pull it a bit tighter. I, I never pull it tight, tight, tight because they're going to fight against me. And so I'm always trying to... Um, to bait and entice people to come and find out about Jesus and come and find out about Village Church. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Thank you. Phil, can I ask you, uh, in our communities, people are searching for belonging and friendship. What would you say about fostering communities where people belong before they believe? Do you intentionally ask me all these questions? It's Is more it? fun that way. Uh, <laughs> and we may disagree here. Uh, 
I don't, I don't think... I, I think what CS said before was excellent on that. Uh, and I think he really answered that question and, and probably gave my answer to that question as well in the same way that uh, Mark stole some of his stuff earlier. But, the, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I think that comment about friendship evangelism, and I'd never thought of before what he said about how you actually convert people to friendship rather than the gospel. That was really interesting because my critique of friendship evangelism is more... This might sound a little facetious, but it is more that it's not biblical. It, it's that it's uh, in you share the gospel before you become friends, or when you become a Christian, you share the gospel with the people you are already friends with. I don't think the Apostle Paul had many non-Christian friends because they'd either said, "Stop telling us about Jesus, Paul, and get lost," or they'd become Christians. And so this idea that we encourage people to have deep friendships with people who don't share the most important thing to them is a, is a strange evangelistic strategy to me, whereas I think they should cultivate connections with people, share the gospel and see what, what happens. Mm. That's what we should all be doing. Now, so, but that's yeah. back, now back to your question because mm. I think it underlies that. That is, I think if cultivating community doesn't have from the very beginning, hey, to be a part of this community you need to trust in Jesus as your Lord and Saviour, I'm not a great fan of being the local social club coordinator. Dominic, so, would well, you like I'm, to disagree? I'm agreeing with what Philip said, but I think it is possible what we do find is somebody comes along to an evangelism course where it's introducing God or one other, and we put on the meal and we do the dishes at the end. But by the week three, they're saying, well, how does the meal happen? And, and mm. actually, why don't I cook next week? And so um, we've definitely had non-Christians cook for introducing God. And... And, and so, becoming friends. And becoming friends. Mm. And, and so now, they're, they're, but they're in the context of hearing the Bible, learning about Jesus, getting closer, and it's, it's all step, little step forward, little step back, mm. little step forward. And if we were to say, no, 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 you can't cook, mm. that would be just such a speed bump mm. in the relationship. Mm. And so I'm, I mean, mate, isn't this great? The Presbyterians should love this. The non-Christians are cooking for the evangelistic dinners. That is so cost-effective. <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful. Um, Alison. It probably does depend on the context too. So with overseas students, uh, there is a commonality. And I'm, I'm here from Malaysia and uh, I'm studying at the same uni and the, the friendship networks bring people to church and Bible study, but it's also clear that that's what they're coming to do. So it's not an aimless hanging about being my friend and one day I might tell you about Jesus. Well, that is it for The Pastor's Heart for this week. And I hope you'll join us next week on The Pastor's Heart when my guest will be Kanishka Rafel and we'll be talking to him about leadership. Hey, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, we would love it if you could hop over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating and review. That helps us in the rankings and lets other people discover the pastor's heart. And again, if you are able to help us out by being a financial partner, go to our Patreon link, patreon.com slash the pastor's heart.